the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Tuesday after Labor Day. Hello. Welcome. Good to have you with us. Our first official, um, I guess, post kind of quasi-unofficial summer edition of Life. I would summer technically goes until the uh, 20th, doesn't it? And then we switch into fall, something like that. Well, whatever it might be, we're glad you're here with us today. Trust you had a great Labor Day weekend. We've got a full program for you tonight and uh, much to talk about. Where do we begin? My goodness. Um, Pastor Sir Ryan's going to drop by later on tonight for an update on the event that took place down at Azusa Street in Los Angeles this weekend. I'll get you details on that. Also, uh, Jason Yates. Talk a bit about voter registration, why it's important. And boy, there was ever a political season in which politically aware and politically engaged people is important. Uh, Wow, this is certainly it, isn't it? So uh, let's get down to cases, shall we? One of the big stories this weekend, of course, on the East Coast, following uh, the whole issue with the hurricane there, which so far seems to have spared uh, most of our East Coast, although the Bahamas have been badly hit, as you are aware. And then following the tragic story of the boat fire in Southern California, 34 people either confirmed dead or unaccounted for. And sadly, the bulk of the passenger list seems to be folks from the San Francisco Bay Area. And if that wasn't enough to keep us occupied in the news over the Labor Day weekend, certainly the shooting in West Texas captures more headlines. Um, Today, report that Odessa police are indicating that the man involved in this shooting that killed seven and injured 21 others, in fact, had called the FBI's tip line in a rambling fashion, and apparently whatever they uh, provided to both police and the FBI was, uh, if usable at all, a little bit too late in all the process. The FBI reporting that the man in this case had been, quote, going in a downward spiral for some time. Shooter eventually had been cornered by police in a stretch of a highway between Odessa and Midland, Texas, and was killed outside of a movie theater there. This is once again calling for the issue of gun control. And it almost seems as if the topic of mass shootings, if not the, the topic du jour, at least the topic of the week or of the month, and along with them, one side that says we need stricter gun control, the other side that says, oh, no, that's not going to make a difference at all, and seemingly between the two are the victims and their families. What of this broader topic? And I realize that we've just recently talked about this, and I realize, too, that we'll probably – 
continue to talk about this, maybe this is the new norm. That'd be frightening to think of. We wanted to get some perspective on all of this from a constitutional standpoint uh, because this is typically something that immediately um, creates references to the Second Amendment. But what exactly does the Second Amendment say? And even if there were a push, and successfully so, toward stricter gun control measures, setting aside the question of whether or not they would work for a moment, maybe the most initial and broader question is, would they even be constitutionally allowable? Let's get some insights now from uh, the best constitutional authority I certainly know. And if you catch his program Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, you probably agree. He is syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, Bob Zadek, who hosts The Bob Zadek Show, as I say, Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. And uh, he is an attorney by trade and, as I say, probably one of the most learned authorities on um, not just the Constitution but the history of the Constitution that I know. And, Bob, is always an honor and a privilege to have you join us. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me back on the show. I always appreciate it and appreciate a chance to chat with your audience. I know we certainly talked about this. In fact, on our last visit, we talked about this, not in the context of what happened in uh, in Midland, but rather what had happened in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso. And sadly, Bob, here we are again. Um, I know that every time one of these issues comes up, it sparks more and more demands for more controls, gun buyback programs, greater background checks, things of this sort. <coughs> And it just seems to sort of be a, a, an endless circle. And maybe, maybe part of the problem here is that we're coming at it from the wrong, uh, the wrong angle, the wrong approach. Uh, so I, I want to start backwards from the idea of even if, for the sake of this argument, um, we could find some sort of a study or uh, evidence, behavioral um, uh, recommendations to suggest that by tightening gun control laws, we could somehow modify behavior. The big question that it begs is whether or not something like that would even be constitutionally viable. Give us your thoughts. Well, Craig, it's interesting, and I really appreciate the fact that you presented the issue we're going to speak about for a while this morning uh, on two levels. You mentioned, of course, the Second Amendment, which means what does the Constitution tell us about what is called gun rights. Of course, guns don't have rights. People do, but gun rights is the phrase that's used. And the second question is, which I find to be equally, if not more interesting, is let us assume there was no, that the Constitution were silent. Let us assume there was nothing in there. Now, Craig, this is, a really interesting conversation, I think, uh, although we will talk about the Constitution, but assuming we are uh, active citizens, we want our country to be of a certain image, we want laws to send a certain message, and we certainly do value our freedom. Let us assume we start only with core human values and respect for freedom. And let us assume the Constitution were silent 
on guns. What should our approach to guns be? And the reason I ask the question is because if we, if we have a conversation, if any group other than judges who spend their life uh, deciding cases in part based upon the Constitution, putting aside judges who are trained legal scholars, that's their profession, putting that aside, it's not possible for any citizens to express an opinion about what the Constitution says about guns because it requires a scholarly examination, which most citizens are not inclined to do, don't want to do it, and don't feel they have to do it in order to have a conversation about guns. So most of the conversation in the media, in discussion groups, with our buddies on a golf course, most of the conversation is never based upon constitutional scholarship. It's based upon what should the law be absent the Constitution. And that's quite an interesting conversation because anybody can participate. Everybody has a valuable opinion about what ought to be our country's relationship to guns. Only a very few people can have a scholarly constitutional opinion on what the Constitution teaches us. Now, if the Constitution teaches us one thing and we think that's wrong in today's 2019 life in America, then the remedy is, well, then we have to change the Constitution. But at least then we know what to do. So, Craig, we can have this conversation on any level you wish this afternoon, and uh, we certainly can speak on what the Constitution teaches us as interpreted by court decisions, and we can discuss what should our relationship to guns be in this country? And maybe we'll have enough time to talk about both. Well, and, 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 and I appreciate that perspective, Bob, because it really then delineates the notion that there's two perspectives here. And, and, and maybe what we get sort of caught up where this, this tends to be just a, a, a ever-repeating cycle that begins nowhere, ends nowhere, and just seems to churn and churn and churn, accomplishing nothing. And that is that one side that typically responds to these events with calls of, greater background checks, greater gun control laws, outlawing guns, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, the opposite side has a very good, strong, basic response. Can't do it. Constitution says so. Perhaps those that are in favor of tighter gun control laws maybe need to be talking about not changing the gun laws then, but by changing fundamentally what Article 2 says and amending the Constitution. Well, that that there is, of course, a movement to do that. Uh, it's not a very strong movement, and it's not likely in today's political climate to go very far. But there are, of course, those people who have feel with great passion about that guns should simply be banned. They have no place in 21st century society other than under extremely limited circumstances, they have that view. And that's a view held in good faith, and one has to respect it. After all, there's, there's nothing wrong with having a view 
that a constitu- our Constitution has to be amended. After all, been amended. It's been amended 27 times, a relatively small number, and a few of the amendments undid prior amendments, putting all that aside, so, that, so the, the numbers may be a tad uh, too high. But in general, of course, amending the Constitution is as American as respecting the Constitution. And that's an appropriate conversation if individuals want to have it. I happen not to think the Constitution ought to be amended, uh, ought not be amended insofar as guns are concerned. That's a personal view. It's not a constitutional view. It's a personal view. And people can have equally thought out, passionately held beliefs the other way, that it should be amended. And that's just for the political process to sort out. The process of amending the Constitution is very intentionally cumbersome. It's very difficult to do. It takes a very long time. And thus, there's only been 27 amendments in 240 years. But it's it's certainly an appropriate discussion for those people who think that's the only solution. But insofar as uh, tightening gun control requiring more detailed background checks, even though we have a nationwide system of background checks right now, and even though there are other statutes which perhaps we'll have a chance to discuss, such as red flag laws and others, that will limit a citizen, a citizen's rights without due process to carry a gun, either temporarily or permanently. And all of these solutions... To the, pro- to the problem, if it is a problem, of gun violence, I happen to think it's not a problem, only because the number of people who died from gun violence, uh, putting aside uh, uh, domestic violence, putting aside family members and things of that nature, and perhaps putting aside gang violence, those people who die in these random attacks such as happened in Odessa over the weekend are an incredibly small number compared to death by almost any other means in this country. So the Odessa-type violence gets a lot of attention because it gets a lot of attention. And if it were not getting all the attention, uh, there'd be no cry out for a solution. Remember, we had, uh, about a couple of months ago, we had in New York State, we had a severe bus accident. And... uh, about 40 children, as I recall, were killed. And there were investigations. And after about one or two days of announcing the event, if there are investigations going forward, we don't know about it. It's left the news. And that killed about 20, about 30 or possibly more children. But there was no cry, let's examine the laws on bus examination. Let's examine the laws on who gets to drive a bus. Let's examine the laws on highways. There was none of that. And there were many more deaths than from Odessa. So isn't it strange that only with gun violence does that trigger a nationwide examination of the same issue over and over again? Let's further regulate guns. But and, and certainly that's true. In the, and that's certainly true, Bob, in the sense that this weekend, for example, this very same Labor Day weekend, where we marked the murder of seven, 21 others shot between Midland and Odessa, and yet headline news has not said a word about an equal number of people who died in Chicago. Seven were killed in Chicago, 34 injured by guns, 
And yet that didn't spark the discussion, but the Odessa shooting did. Maybe the broader question here is, or, or at least the simpler, let me rephrase this, the simpler question, and we'll, we'll come to this after a brief timeout, maybe the simpler question is this. If, as Bob Zadek suggests, modification of the Constitution, an intentionally cumbersome process, certainly not a simple thing to do, to be sure not a quick or, or um, expedient thing to do, maybe what we need to do is come to a better understanding of, all right, let's work with what we have. What exactly does Article 2 say, and what framework does it allow us to work inside of to try to bring some sense of satisfaction to those frustrated by deaths caused by weapons, while at the same time protecting the fundamental constitutional rights of gun holders. Let's come back to that question. We continue our visit today with syndicated talk show host and author Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. Information and resources, by the way, available at Bob's website, bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. All right, 522, let's get a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation, Bob Zedek, my guest, Bob's program, The Bob Zedek Show, heard here in the San Francisco Bay Area Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on our sister station, 860 AM. The answer, check out Bob's website at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K. Lots of great resources there, information, too, about recent shows, podcasts, and uh, his more recent book that's uh, now available called The Bumble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. A very compelling read in light of the national dialogue right now about the cost of education. Check it out, The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product, now available at bobzadek.com. Robert, let's talk about some basic facts here. Article 2, not very complicated. It says simply, and I quote, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. Period. Close quote. That's all the Constitution says. So with that, when you hear the call for greater background checks, taking certain weapons off the market, things of this sort, um, give me your perspective from a constitutional viewpoint in terms of uh, how much breadth and depth do gun control advocates really have in light of what the Constitution says? Happily, uh, Craig. But By the way, uh, a story I like to share, uh, all Americans, I'm sure, have learned and most have not forgotten the story of the shot heard around the world, the, the shot on uh, at Lexington and Concord, which started the American Revolutionary War. And that was started because the British, under General Gage, left Boston uh, to go and attack uh, Lexington and Concord. Everybody knows that. What isn't known is why were the British, 1,200 British redcoats, why did they leave Boston 
cross the Charles River and go into Lexington and Concord. Do you know why, Craig? Gun control. Gun control. Why were they there? Because the British heard that Americans had a powder magazine with with uh, gunpowder and cannonballs and cannon, and the British didn't like the idea that the colonists had guns. So the American Revolution was started because of an attempt at gun control. And little known fact, absolutely true. Now, of course, the Redcoats were also hoping to capture Sam Adams and John Hancock, who had escaped and were hiding in Lexington and Concord. But the main reason to send 1,200 Redcoats, British regulars, to Lexington and Concord was to confiscate guns. So if you think gun control is a not-so-important issue, it started the American Revolution, and gun control changed the world, or at least an attempted gun control. So keep that tucked away in the back of your mind as we talk about how passionate uh, people feel towards the right to protect themselves. Now, now to your question. Of course, you read, obviously, with great precision, the Second Amendment, a very short amendment. Interestingly enough, it's the Second Amendment. And if you want to assume the founders listed amendments in order of importance, I don't know that that's necessarily true. There's some speculation that it is, that the First Amendment is free speech, freedom assembly, uh, free exercise of religion and the like, the core American values. Right after that, the Second Amendment, if you think it's significant, is the right to keep and bear arms. Now, the courts are left with the interpretation of those very, very few general, vague words. Therefore, what the Constitution says is what the courts say. People have observed that judges make law. That's not quite true. Judges are really supposed to find the law. The law is always there somewhere, and the judges, through a thought process, have to find it. So judges, in deciding how much guns can be regulated, have to read these words, try to understand what the founders intended, what those words mean in 21st century America, and then make a decision based upon that thought process. Now, so it's clear that it is clear by jurisprudence that judges have decided some reasonable regulation of gun ownership and gun use is appropriate. Certainly, uh, the Second Amendment doesn't mean everybody can own a tank and own um, anti-tank weapons and howitzers and things of that nature. Of course not. And in fact, the uh, barring the use of automatic weapons such as machine guns have been illegal and the illegality has passed constitutional muster. They've been illegal since the 1930s. So everybody recognizes that in the extremes, of course, guns can be regulated to some degree. But the courts have to make this decision. Every time they ratchet up the level of control, as we said in prior shows, Craig, every time you tighten gun control, liberty recedes. 
and lots of innocent people who mean nobody any harm whatsoever find their rights limited. And the courts have to balance the degree to which a majority of people have certain rights taken away, whether there's a corresponding benefit that outweighs that surrender of liberty. And the Second Amendment, uh, since it is what is called an enumerated right, that is, it is a right specifically protected in the Bill of Rights, that is given a higher level of scrutiny. And courts are instructed to examine any limitation on an enumerated rights, such as free speech, or in this case, gun control, uh, by a very high standard. So there better be a compelling reason to limit the liberty involved in gun ownership for in order for a, a statute to pass constitutional muster. And that balancing is what the courts have to do. And of course, it's interesting, if, if you look at the totality of the Bill of Rights, um, in relationship to uh, the the cohesive role that they play as a part of the United States Constitution. Not only, as you point out, is it the second thing that they thought of to include here in these enumerated rights, but uh, I think the line being necessary to the security of a free state um, was no doubt one of the, 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 the penultimate thoughts driving the Founding Fathers to include this because they saw the threat of the free state as you pointed out a moment ago, leading to uh, the Revolutionary War as being something that had to be protected, uh, the people protecting themselves and protecting that that security of a free state and seeing that security coming in the form of a musket. And the fact that that is, that is tied together in the – because they could have just said, uh, you know, uh, the people have the right to keep and bear arms. Boom. End of story. They, they clearly saw this right as one that was integral to protecting our freedoms. Am I, am I reading that appropriately, Bob? You're exactly right, Craig, exactly right. And remember that um, every, even most of our audience who are not uh, trained attorneys and, and judges, we all know that, in general, murder is a crime. We also know that for as long as there has been uh, Western civilization, killing somebody in self-defense is not murder. It is, just, it is justifiable, and even though you killed somebody, that is not a crime. In other words, as part of our Judeo-Christian values, and going back to the 12th century in England, and perhaps earlier than that, it has always been recognized that humans have the inherent right to protect themselves from harm. And so thus the defense, self-defense uh, as a defense to a, a accusation of murder. By the same token, remember, we had just fought and won a revolution. And we, were, we lived as colonists being fearful and not very happy with our government. And therefore, the in general, the Constitution is a body of governing principles 
designed to protect us from and to establish the relationship between citizens and their government. Every single one of the Bill of Rights, Craig, defines limitations on a government exercising power over individuals. So the the Second Amendment is one of many, many rights that people have vis-a-vis government. And what the what the Second Amendment is stating is people have a have to have the ability to protect themselves even against government. That's part of self defense. Not just defense against a bad actor, but defense against the government. This right, the right to protect yourself, was very, very important, as it should have been and remains important, and therefore compromises on this right that's eight or nine centuries old to compromise or to limit the ability of one person to be to have protection against somebody who would harm them, that's cherished. And therefore, any limitation ought to be done carefully. And Craig, in, in evaluating these proposed statutes, what's missing from all the proposals, more gun checks, mental health examinations, what's missing is any objective data. Where is the data that shows this limitation on rights will actually work? It's theory. It's like made-up stuff so a legislator can look really smart and on top of his game. But to me, no liberties should be compromised absent objective data that the, the surrender of rights will make a difference. There has to be data, not somebody taking a guess or saying it's common sense. Liberty is too important to be sacrificed to common sense. Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock on our sister station, 860 AM. The answer, information about Bob's program, resources, podcasts of previous programs, all available online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K. Dot com. Don't forget to check out his latest book. It's a compelling read, particularly in light of what's going on in the national dialogue related to education. His book, The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product, now available at bobzadek.com. Traffic now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If the conversation the last half hour or so has taught us anything, um, the bigger, grander picture might be this. We all need to be more involved in the political process. And I know some people look at that and say, oh, no, that's dirty. I don't want to soil myself with that. Nothing changes anyway. And, of course, attitudes like that will guarantee that nothing will change. Here's the problem. You can't just simply abdicate your responsibility to someone else or ignore the process because this funny little thing called government of, by, and for the people puts this squarely on our shoulders. Uh, The foundation of this nation was the first in the history of the world to allow 
men and women the ability to govern themselves. And so if you advocate that responsibility, you're suggesting that you don't care about the process nor the results and therefore should have nothing to say about what happens on the backside. How do we get people better engaged in this entire political process of self-governance? Well, we're joined now by Jason Yates, CEO of My Faith Votes. Jason, I appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. There's going to be a very special get-out-the-vote effort coming up on September the 22nd. Tell us about it and more specifically why you believe that believers in particular need to be active in this process of self-governance. Yeah, thanks, Craig, and it's so great to be on your show. I really appreciate it and be able to share with your listeners. Um, we are doing something special. We're, we're creating something that we hope is just an annual event. Um, that's our plan. Um, every fourth Sunday of September will be Voter Registration Sunday, and we're encouraging churches across the nation to take this one Sunday and to hold a voter registration drive and to encourage their members to be involved and to vote. Um, uh, you know, we, we say that um, at My Faith Votes, we, we say that we can all do something. There's something we can do. I mean, much to how you led into this, saying this is a government of the people, we the people, and and we must um, be involved. We must take action, and we really want to see the church um, get involved because it is our faith, it's the values of our faith that really matter. And let me say this, that I would say, um, you know, for those who have the Christian faith, um, I think there is a call and a responsibility, not even civically, though I think as as residents and citizens of America, we have that responsibility. But there's a call from our faith to be involved as well. James tells us that our faith should be action-oriented, that we should act on our faith. Um, in, in Galatians 6, Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good, especially to those of the faith. And so the way we look at this, Craig, is that um, voting is just that. It's an opportunity to do good, to bring the influence of our faith um, to the public square. And, and, and that's what we're calling Christians across the nation to do. That's why we're encouraging um, churches and pastors to uh, join us and to be involved in this. And we've created a whole toolkit for churches to make this super easy for them just to follow the steps. The big thing is we want this to be their event. This isn't you know, sponsored by a big organization. We've provided the toolkit, but we haven't branded it. We just want churches to run with it, and we want them to be effective at encouraging the body of Christ in voting. Now, let me jump in because I'm anticipating the questions that are lingering in the minds of those eavesdropping on our conversation today that said, well, wait a minute now, Jason. You said get out the vote and voter registration drives associated with a church. Wow. Now, aren't there laws against that? Wouldn't I be found in violation of, of some separation of church and state law or regulation that might even put our nonprofit 501c3 status at risk? 
Yeah, there's a false narrative, right, around the separation of church and state, and there's there's um, uh, a lack of knowledge, really, around what is um, uh, what is allowable and what churches can do, and that's part of this whole toolkit that we provided is the legal do's and don'ts for a church, and so a church absolutely can host a voter registration drive. Now, they're not going to endorse specific candidates or endorse specific parties, but they can absolutely encourage people to be involved in the process. In fact, they can even, the church can even speak into issues and say, here's a biblical world view around an issue, and and we believe that as uh, believers in Christ, that these are some things that you need to be considering as you approach the voting booth. So they can do that. They can speak into those issues. Really, there's very little that a church can't do, and the main thing that they cannot is to endorse specific candidates. So it's a very clear delineation in terms of what they need to avoid. Don't get up there and endorse a party. Don't endorse candidates, but do endorse people being involved in the process. Um, for those that want to get more information, particularly in relationship to the um, support kit that you put together, where can they go and what does it cost? Yeah, thank you. Um, you can go to VoterRegistrationSunday.org. Sign up there and you will get gain access to the Voter Registration Sunday Toolkit. Um, And that's the great thing about it. We are making this free of cost. We just want to make it available uh, for churches and for those in church leadership uh, so that it can be used broadly and widely without any restraints. And again, more information available at MyFaithVotes.org. That's MyFaithVotes.org. Sunday, September the 22nd, Voter Registration Sunday should be held at churches all across America. Your opportunity to get involved. Find out more online at MyFaithVotes.org. That's MyFaithVotes.org. Our thanks to Jason Yates, CEO of MyFaithVotes, for not just the hard work, but for the update. 552, let's get a look at traffic again here. We're trying to slowly get caught up on things, so let's get caught up right now on what the uh, Tuesday ride home looks like. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as you know, over the weekend, uh, this past Labor Day weekend, a special event took place down in Southern California, in fact, a a bi-coastal event, essentially pointing toward the need for prayer and fasting and revival in America. The event was called Wells of Revival, Redigging the Wells of Revival, and uh, joining us now is one of its leaders, um, Pastor Cyril Rayan of the Potter's Ministries. And Pastor Cyril, great to have you on the program. Give us a bit of a a report and update, if you will, as to uh, what happened. Sure, Greg. Thank you for having me on for the reports. It was an excellent gathering at the site of Azusa Revival and also at uh, one of the sites of the First Great Awakening in Fairton, New Jersey. Around 120 people came at the Azusa site 
and around 80 people gathered uh, on the East Coast. Uh, we believe uh, we had a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord, and there were various prayer sessions. There were four worship teams that had come on, and uh, the presence of the Lord was very strong. Uh, we had a time of corporate repentance. We had Jeffrey Daly with us, Pastor Jeff Daly, who is the founder of uh, National Day of Repentance. And uh, he uh, led us in uh, corporate repentance. And we had a time of personal repentance. I thought those times were uh, very powerful. And uh, one of the sessions, which was, I think, a breakthrough session, was a prayer uh, for the Z generation by the Z generation. And it was led by uh, um, uh, a young man named Job and with a few other um, uh, intercessors joining him, all of them from the Z generation. In fact, one was 11-year-old, Craig, believe it or not. And they they are on fire for God. Uh, They really represent what we need to see in the nation happen to the Z generation. Uh, Everyone was moved to tears uh, during that session. Uh, It was very powerful uh, prayer session for the Z generation. Another uh, very good uh, session. All the sessions were good, obviously, but some of them uh, really uh, touched everyone's hearts, especially the Z generation prayer. And then the racial reconciliation prayer was very, very powerful. Uh, led by Mando Matthews of Igbalo School of Prayer, uh, which is uh, uh, one of Lou Ingalls' uh, schools. And they are the ones, Mando is the one who actually had organized worship teams from different houses of prayer. And I think one of the key, one of our prayers was to get worship teams who are already intercessors. We did not want just worship teams who are worshippers, though that is good. But we wanted to have worship teams who are intercessors, and that is, that's exactly uh, what happened. And it was all in all a very powerful time of fasting and prayer. Uh, we really believe that uh, the vision that the Lord gave was accomplished, because the vision statement was uh, every nation, tribe, and tongue to gather together to fast and pray. To, so that God can relent from sending calamity to America and so that we can redig the wells of revival. So there were two hours in the vision, and definitely every nation, tribe, and tongue was represented. Uh, it was amazing to see uh, every one of these intercessors gather to fast and pray and cry out to the Lord. And it was a powerful time of prayer. We believe we broke through. Actually, at the end of the conference, this young gal came up to me uh, saying, on Friday night, she saw a vision of a well with clear water. And and uh, there was more details to the dream. Uh, but my point, uh, she came to me at the end of the conference, and she didn't know about the conference. So on Saturday, somebody uh, told her to come, and she came halfway to the conference, and she came and shared that with me. You know, God reveals to us that we have been obedient, and then he revealed to us that we have broken through. So we really believe that we obeyed the Lord and uh, did what he asked us to do to redig the wells of revival. 
and I really believe and our team we believe that we broke through and had an awesome uh, time of prayer and God has heard us and we expect mighty things to happen through this and in fact one of the leaders Craig name is Pastor Yuan Pei uh, uh, he's a Romanian uh, pastor who has been sent to America to really uh, lead a prayer movement here uh, he is uh, running a 24 by 7 um, uh, prayer as we speak and he said uh, you know he called me the next day and said it is a call to war and I think that was a very powerful statement and that's exactly what we need to do it's not just a one-day gathering and Craig we talked about this earlier uh, it is going to be an ongoing thing and that's what we were sharing that this is not just a one-day conference we want it to build a ripple effect and it is a call to war on our knees uh, for our nation and we cannot cannot keep quiet we need to continue until we see the breakthrough you know and the breakthrough in, in my mind uh, when revival comes you know hundreds of thousands and even millions of souls will be saved so we need to continue to contend for revival continue to pray and uh, expect God to move we believe that we have broken through and we can expect God to rent the heavens come down and to see a major move of God uh, in the nation so even on the East Coast, there were 80 people, and Pastor Jamie Morgan sent me a feedback, and we need to talk in detail uh, more. Uh, but the presence of the Lord was evident on the East Coast, and everyone was blessed mightily, and she said, can't wait until next year's event. Um, but I think the key here is, as we had talked about earlier, Craig, uh, that we, we gathered, we obeyed the Lord, and now we are uh, continuing to uh, contend for prayer. And we are asking even people who are listening, if you would like to, uh, if you're inspired to pray for the nation, uh, you can contact us at prayer at pottersministries.org. And our goal is to get to a 24 by 7 prayer initiative. At this time, we have around uh, five to six hours of prayer every weekday for revival in America. We feel we need to have a 24 by 7 initiative and continue to pray on an every weekday basis. It's not, we cannot just wait for the next year's conference, though that the date for the conference is set. It's September 26, 2020, and the vision for next year is to go to every state in the nation to the fights of revival, to redig the wells of revival. Well, and you know, as we had talked about in our visit together last week and, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> this event last Saturday uh, needed not to be viewed by believers as a moment, but rather as a movement. And if we see this as the start of a movement um, and really dedicate toward prayer and fasting for our nation at this critical junk <coughs> pardon me, a juncture, 
then I believe we'll see the hand of God move. Um, if you would like to find out more, you'd like to sign up and be a part of this great gathering of prayer warriors as the momentum begins to, to build steam and, and move toward creating this as an incredible movement of God, uh, you can email prayer at pottersministries.org. That's prayer at pottersministries.org. And um, we'll no doubt be talking to Pastor Rayan in the coming months um, as this sense of, I think, a growing growing frustration that is building up to um, reaction by believers, frustration with where America is, reaction before the throne of grace that God would be uh, stirred to send the Holy Spirit and to bring about revival to our nation. Information, email prayer at pottersministries.org. That's prayer at pottersministries.org. Our thanks to Pastor Cyril Rayan for that update. All right, six after the hour, let's get you updated on traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.